Welcome to episode number 22 of the Basketball Card Podcast. This is our uh, beginning of free agency edition, and uh, the last few days of free agency has been absolutely insane. I've kind of pondered over the the podcast in terms of the subject matter and it's hard to know how much to talk about the game and it's hard to know how much to talk about cards because they the game affects values the game affects collectability and the storylines do too and i have a passion for the game and for the hobby and so it's kind of it's it's hard to it's hard to figure out where one starts and where the other ends and how much uh, how much time I should spend on either. I'd be interested to hear any of your thoughts on that, if you have any suggestions. Um, in terms of the last few days, obviously one great story has, has been the story that everyone has been focusing on. And uh, I've got five transactions here that I feel like are important in terms of their effect on the hobby but you know which one the one that's going to be number one and we'll we'll talk about that here in a couple of minutes before we do that though I did want to mention that there's a new product out this week called Panini Black Black Label or Black Gold something like that you'd think I'd know um, I've just watched uh, or just looked at the Panini breaks and looked at the previews the jumbo materials are gorgeous, great, great looking cards. Um, the Iverson that's on the Knights Lance is just a just a sweet, sweet card. Uh, I can't say that. Besides that, there's anything in the product that really stands out to me. I guess the base set actually is really sweet looking too, but the sticker autographs on the black aren't just aren't super nice um but uh there's nothing in terms of what i can see as far as rookies go that really stands out to me i'm a big rookie card guy uh, but but the the jumbo materials are not just kind of nice they're one of the nicest things that panini's done um, i'm not a big just material guy myself uh, but i know that some of you are and so um, i would encourage any of you who, who just really like nice looking patches high quality card plus high quality material to take a look at that like i said the iverson is especially sweet so there's our uh, very brief preview uh, on that product um let's talk about the five uh the five things that there are the five transactions that that i've seen that i think definitely affect the hobby the first one and these, these aren't in any particular order by the way the first one we'll go th- pretty fast through these first four because I know the one the one that you guys are all thinking about so uh, Horford to Boston is actually a pretty big deal for two reasons one is that this really puts uh, Boston in a position to be able to can be to be competitive in the Eastern Conference Boston was good last year and a lot of their best players are very young so you would expect a natural uptick from last year to last year, the, the year that the, the Cavs won the championship, to this year now, the one that we're now summer league starting, right? So now that's this year. Um, most of their players from Isaiah Thomas, Avery Bradley, 
Marcus Smart, Kelly Olenek. A lot of these guys were drafted in the last three or four years, and so you would still uh, expect an av- uh, a, an uptick in, in those guys. Jay Crowder, it's just a, a natural thing. Um, the, the year three to year four, the year four to year five, the chemistry being better and stuff like that. But we also saw that in the playoffs, they weren't ready to be, they're not ready to be a great team at this point. So um, that that is, it's good that they would have they would have naturally improved, but it wasn't enough. So then they go out and they add somebody who's proven to be year over year one of the best twenty players in the league, probably well, probably between eighteen and twenty second best player in the league, and he's a big. And what that's where they needed help was at the big positions. They're pretty set in the backcourt positions, um, although they're gonna they lost Turner, uh, so that will hurt them. They do already still have quite a bit of depth there. Um, and between Crowder and now Horford, now they've got a couple of really good front court players, uh, along with Kelly Olenek, who's actually quite a good player as well. Um, so I think that's an important m- uh, move in the hobby, though, because he's moving to one of the destinations. Boston is one of the collector destinations. It used to be that if you got a Boston rookie card, I remember back in the mid '90s, if you if you ever got a Delonte West or an Al, or not mid mid '90s, but mid 2000s, um, if you ever got a Delonte West or an Al Jefferson or a Tony Allen or anything like that, <coughs> excuse me, that could be enough to pay for your box in some situations, and that sounds crazy, but truly, that's that's how uh, Boston uh, has dealt with their. With, with their with their players for a long time, they're highly collectible. It's not quite like that anymore, but they're still highly collectible. And uh, from what I've seen, there's been a, at least a slight uptick in Horford stuff. Now the question they ask is, well, how good can Boston be? Can Boston compete with Cleveland? Can they beat Cleveland? I don't know. Um, the storyline, the narrative is going to be that Cleveland's this unbeatable team because they just won. They won the, the the championship, and they really pretty easily dis, dismantled Toronto. But I don't think that Cleveland's some great complete team. I think that you know LeBron's certainly um, he just put together really a, a, a playoffs for the ages, and really cemented uh, his his self in terms of his uh, place in history. Yeah, that's his championship. That's a big one, but but I I don't think he's at his peak physically anymore. I think he's on the on on the downhill, and his downhill still at this point is better than ninety nine point nine percent of the guys out there, and he's still a best. He's still the best player in the game, but I don't know that he he will be next year, and I really don't know if he will be the year after that. He's got enough minutes on him at this point um, that the trend the nba his, history shows if you if you have that many minutes on your on you you start to you start to fail at some point and so um, i wouldn't put it past him to be better or longer from than, than almost anybody especially cuz he came into the league so young but i think that it's fair to say that we can start to expect some sort of decrease that might be significant so if you if you look at um, if you look at Boston, you have to ask the question, can they compete? And I think that with Horford, that's a legit question. So then you start thinking, well, what what would that do to Horford's exquisite rookies and whatever else? It depends on how well he plays, and it depends on how big a part he, he is of that. But I can assure you of this. If Boston competes with the, if, with the Cavs and they beat them and people attribute that mostly to Horford, 
you'll see a huge uptick in his exquisite rookies and really in all of his stuff. So be sure to watch that. I'll try to go faster through, through these other ones. Um, I think the the Miami uh, Miami letting Dang walk um, to the Lakers and Marvin Williams to or not Marvin Williams I'm sorry uh, Joe Johnson to the Jazz were two big moves for the guys who are behind them and they're both young guys or I guess all three of them are young guys you got Tyler Johnson Josh Josh Richardson and Justice Winslow. Justice Winslow is the biggest name on there, but those other two guys both played a big role in how good Miami was last year, and both were big surprises. And that, and getting more playing time creates visibility, and so it becomes a, a potential opportunity. Now, the interesting thing about this is I'm a big believer that that's a help in the short term. I'm not a big believer that's a help in the long term. I would rather have somebody who I felt strongly about who was being really nurtured and and kind of trained up to be a great player in a system. Obviously, with my jazz fandom, I'm thinking about Dante Exum right now. That there's a guy who has a chance to be a star in the league, but you might not know it based on the based on his playing time here for the first month or two of the season. Maybe you will. I don't know. I I just see them bringing him along easily or uh, slowly. So the question is, how will these Miami guys respond to it? And I think the answer to that is they'll. They'll do their best. They'll respond well. They'll have decent per game averages, but I don't know that it's the best thing for for them long term. I don't know that it's not the best thing either. I, I just think that it might be that their ceiling's a lot less high than somebody like Exum. Having said that, I think you'll see an uptick in the Miami stuff and those those guys cards. Um, if you had them, I would sell them here in the short future, unless you think that they really will be bust out breakout guys. Maybe Winslow is. I mean, he's got. He's he was a lottery pick and um, very highly thought of by some people and maybe he truly will be a superstar but his stuff's pretty high as it is so um, but I think those those moves definitely impacted them. I want to talk about Harrison Barnes to Dallas? That will go unnoticed because um, when people think about Golden State right now they're thinking about who they just added not who they lost. But Harrison Barnes moves from a very peripheral role of being maybe the fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh best guy on that team to maybe being, like, the best guy on that team, maybe being the second best guy on that team. Uh, obviously, you've got Dirk Nowitzki there, but Dirk's a lot older. Dallas losses Zaza Pachulia, who was one of their best two or three players last year, to Golden State. Um, and so you've got Harrison Barnes there to score a lot of points. Chandler Parsons is gone. Um, a lot of points should be scored by Harrison Barnes. So then the question becomes, how does that affect his stuff in a Golden State uniform? Because obviously he's got all these rookie cards and whatever else in a Golden State uniform, and I don't know the answer to that. What I do know is if Harrison Barnes can prove to be the face of the franchise, and he is under a long-term deal, if the Maverick fans really adopt him, you could see a large swing in his stuff. So that's something to be uh, to be mindful of. Um Number four uh, is is I'm just really interested in the in the moves that the New York Knicks have made. Um, I don't know that they're foolproof because the guys that they've gotten are very how do we say um, they've been fragile, but they're also tough guys. They're winners when they're on the court, and so the question is how many minutes can they play? Um, but at the point guard spot, they've got uh, you know they got two gamers in Brandon Jennings and Derrick Rose. And if you tell me, if you can tell me how many games they play this year, 
and maybe we'll have a better idea of how good they'll be. But they also added Courtney Lee, who is one of the better jump shooters and a great defender, a guy who's filled in or been a big part of those really good Memphis teams this last three or four years. Um, I think he went over to Memphis two years ago, if I remember right, and he's done really well for them. And then you've got Carmelo, who I think is going to mostly play four. I don't think that in today's NBA he can really play three anymore, especially defensively. And then you've got Porzingis, who is one of the best three or four guys in the league at 22 and under, has an extremely unique skill set. That's why people call him a unicorn, because of his ability to not only be a rim protector, but also a jump shooter. Uh, he's got a chance to be great. And then when your team signs Joe Kim Noah, you immediately have an identity, and that identity is a tough team. And when you play in a tough town and you've got a tough identity, Teams, the fans are going to love him. They are going to love Joe Kim Noah. Uh, they are going to love him. And they're going to love that team uh, if they can stay healthy. If they can stay healthy, I think they contend for the second or third spot in the Eastern Conference. If they can stay healthy, they're a matchup nightmare in the playoffs because nobody wants to go against those bigs in the playoffs. And at the end of the day, Carmelo Anthony is still a top five scorer in the NBA. Maybe even more than that. He's one of the best scorers we've ever seen. The w different, the variety of ways he can score, the dominant ways he can score, the below the rim, pound you, like get you down underneath the hoop and score on you. And in today's NBA, he's the perfect four, uh, at least offensively. Defensively, they have uh, those other guys who are, who are really good, but... Um, I'm interested to see how, how that all comes together, interested to see if they can stay healthy. The last one um, before the big one is uh, something that might happen. There's news of Dwayne Wade going to Denver tomorrow to meet with Nuggets Brass about a two-year $52 million deal. Uh, and if this happens, I think this is maybe the most interesting of all of these, except for the last one to look at, because... Dwayne Wade's uh, lore and his collectability is tied pretty significantly to Miami. And so I really wonder if, I think it's, I think it's been a foregone conclusion that he's a guy who would play his entire career in Miami. And who knows, he might still, he might still do that. But uh, assuming he doesn't, assuming that he goes to Denver, it's hard to imagine how that will affect his high-end rookie stuff. I think it will affect it quite a lot. Um... I really do. I, I think that uh, maybe not maybe not the highest end stuff, but especially the mid-tier stuff, those great Miami collectors, it's, it's hard when your guy leaves. And suddenly people aren't as um, emotionally attached to what they've held on to for so long. And the market is then, um, I don't want to say flooded, but there's an increase of that stuff out there. And so the market, there's not as many buyers for that, and there's more sellers. You know, the the Nuggets fans aren't going to be willing out, out there just shelling out tons of money for Miami Heat, Dwayne Wade rookie cards. That's not how it works. We've seen this sort of thing before, um, and, and that's, that's typically what happens. So I'm interested to see... Uh, I'm really interested to see how that works, how that goes for Dwayne Wade. I hope that he stays in Miami. I've never been a huge Dwayne Wade fan, but for that fan base, it's just wonderful to have a guy that's yours, that's that's your your guy. You know, here in Utah, we've got Stockton and Malone. Malone went and played with the Lakers for a year at the very end of his career, but um, 
you know, he came and he announced his retirement with us and played 18 years here and, you know, almost never missed a game. And, and uh, he was our guy. And John Stockton was obviously our guy playing every game of his 19 years with us here. And it's just wonderful to have that. And especially at Dwayne Wade's point in his career, I hate to see him leave, especially when you're talking about for an extra $5 million or $10 million or something like that. Um, but who am I to say? I mean, that, that is a lot of money. So maybe he feels like he, need to be, he needs to be paid that. I know he's sacrificed before, but uh, for the sake of Dwayne Wade cards, I definitely hope that he stays in Miami because I think uh, I think most of them will take a pretty significant hit. I mean, like 20, 25%. Uh, maybe more um, on some of those mid-tier rookies um, and signatures and patch cards and stuff like that. So anyway, that's kind of my, my preview on that. And that takes us to the obvious, uh, the obvious stuff of the day that we want to talk about, which is probably, as I think Nate Duncan talked about it on his podcast this week, probably one of the biggest five stories in the history of the NBA. Nate Duncan went through the other four being, um, let's see if I can name them off the top of my head, Magic Johnson's HIV and the announcement of that, LeBron James, um, (coughs) excuse me, LeBron James leaving Cleveland and then coming back to Cleveland, Um, Michael Jordan retiring from basketball, going to play baseball and coming back, and... The other one kind of escapes me right now. Um, the other one that I thought of is just, I remember when Shaq left Orlando and went to, uh, when he signed a free agent deal with L.A., that that was one of the biggest things that, you know, we've kind of, we've ever seen. Um, but this, this is huge. You think of, you think of the confluence of events that had to transpire to make this happen. I don't think Durant could go and sign with Golden State if Oklahoma City had beaten Golden State. And so it's a good thing that Golden State came back from 3-1. I don't think, I don't know that Kevin Durant could go to Golden State if Golden State had just won the championship. Maybe he could. But I think if Golden State doesn't give up that 3-1 lead, there's a very good case to be made that he may not have been willing to just jump ship. I was a believer that he wouldn't leave. I put the probabilities of him leaving to Golden State is particularly low because I've always pegged Kevin Durant as a guy who would want to win for his city and his team. But on the other side of that, he he gave nine years to that franchise, eight of those years to the Oklahoma City fans. And he gave them a lot. You know, the only team they've ever known is a team with Kevin Durant on it. And so... Part of me kind of feels like at some point a franchise deserves to lose and earn their stripes a little bit. And and I think it's Oklahoma City's turn to earn their stripes a little bit. Um, having said that, he's their guy, and they loved him. And it's, it's hard, man. It's really hard to see him go for them. Uh, the Thunder have been really one of like my secondary my secondary team that I cheer for once the Jazz are out, which is this last uh, eight years been pretty quickly. Um, they've been my secondary team. The Thunder have, and that's been because of Kevin Durant. I love the guy. I think the way that he plays, the way he carries himself, it's just very admirable. 
and uh, I, I really like the guy. But I didn't think he would just he would he would do that to them. I think at the end of the day, what he said, what he realized, was, I can stay here in Oklahoma City and I can be competitive for a long time, and there's even a chance we might win a championship along the way. But I can go to Golden State and I can be part of a real dynasty. I think the probability of them having a real dynasty isn't is it's pretty high. The oldest of those guys is 28. I think Steph and Durant are both about 28 or both 28 years old. I know they're super close in age, and yeah, I think Steph's actually a little bit older than than Katie is. Then you've got Draymond, who came into the league in 2012, I believe, or 2011. I always forget because both rookie crops came out in that same 2012-13 class. Um, um, and then there's, uh, I think it's 2011. And then there's Clay as well, same same time frame. These guys are pretty young. You know, each of them had more than one year of college, and so they're a little bit older than you know that you might than you might think. For, for how long they've been in the league. None of them were freshmen. But in my opinion, they've got four of the top 10, or at the very least, four of the top 13 or 14 players in the world on one team. They've got a good coach, great management, good glue guys, guys like Sean Livingston and um, Andre Iguodala, who are wonderful role players. And it's pretty terrifying. The prospect of them just reeling off these next four, five, six championships is very real. And it's unlike anything we've ever seen. But having said that, injuries are always a potential issue. And um, seeing people mesh together in chemistry is always a huge issue. And so, you know, it's just, it's not a guarantee. Having said that, I think it's pretty likely that they're going to be really awesome. So, with all of that background, how does that affect the hobby? There's a lot of components to look at there. There is the question of um, there's a question of how does it affect other players' cards on the team? And the answer is I really don't know. This is unlike really what we've seen before. There's not a specific precedent for this. Is does does Draymond Green stuff go down now that Kevin Durant's there and Draymond Green doesn't score as many points or have as many rebounds? What if Draymond Green's a key cog in a team that wins eight championships? <laughs> you know? Um, what about the same thing for Clay Thompson? Instead of Steph being the best player in the world, very obviously, maybe he shares the spotlight a little bit with Kevin Durant. I think he will. I think there's a pretty good case to be made that Kevin Durant's a better basketball player than Steph Curry. Those, there might be some of you out there who are just shaking your head and talking about how he had the you know, most efficient, one of the best offensive seasons in the history of the NBA this year, maybe the best. I get that. <clears throat> but a lot of that has to do with system, and a lot of that I don't think is replicable. It's hard to imagine him having as good an offensive season as he just had, whereas Kevin Durant and the way that he plays kind of feels like he can play the way he's playing right now for a really long time. And not only that, but Kevin Durant's a very good defensive player. He's not all NBA first team, but he's a significantly better than above average guy who gets rebounds and blocks and steals and was huge defensively in the playoffs, whereas Steph just isn't. 
Steph's going to get more open threes. Steph's probably going to become even, maybe even become more efficient, but he's not going to be as noticeable. And I think the question is going to come up many, many times, who's the best player on this team? And I think when all is said and done, there's a very good chance that the answer to that is Kevin Durant. So how does it affect Steph's stuff? I don't know. I have no idea. How does it affect Durant's stuff? An even better question. I think when you look at the rookie card stuff, he's in a Sonics jer jersey. I'm not sure that Thunder fans identified with the Sonics in the first place. So fans of Kevin Durant at this point, I don't think are going to be jumping off any bandwagons. Fans of the Thunder might, though. And like we talked about with Al Horford, um, you know, what do you, when, when, when a guy leaves, what do you do with those cards? Actually, like we talked about with Dwayne Wade, I'm sorry. What do you do with those cards? So the mid-tier stuff, I think there's a chance that some of that takes a, takes a hit. I think most of the upper-tier stuff isn't really owned by fans, but by collectors, of, um, by high-end collectors. Not a lot of people are just hoarding Kevin Durant exquisite rookies that are worth $5,000 plus, right? Not a lot of real big Oklahoma City th fans. I know there are a couple. That's not totally true. There's a couple, but for the most part, they're held by high-end collectors. So, how does it affect his, his stock? I think that on the cheaper patch and autographs, like I talked about for Dwayne Wade, I think there's going to be a pretty significant hit to those. Those ones where he's in an Oklahoma City uniform. <laughs> or, excuse me, um, I would say, or a Seattle uniform, except for those are rookies, and those aren't cheap. So... What about the new Golden State cards? Those, especially when they first come out, are going to be just hot. They're going to be on fire. Because there's a lot of big Golden State fans. And suddenly he's the guy, and there will be a very small supply. If there was a way I could short Kevin Durant Golden State cards, I would absolutely do it. Because the first ones that come out are going to be worth half of what they were worth in the beginning. Um, a couple of months down the road, when Panini's released uh, several other products and has come out with more and more Kevin Durant Golden State autographs. That's how it works. But people always want them in the beginning. And maybe there might be a, a real short-term period where you could buy and then flip locally to somebody uh, if you live in San Francisco or if you have, if you know somebody who's a Golden State fan. There's always a chance of doing that sort of thing. But I really believe that, uh, that the first ones that come out won't hold their value very well. So be mindful of that. Um, I also think... Um, the question needs to be asked: How does this? Um, how do you? How do you beat this team? We've already talked about the change of the landscape of the NBA um, in terms of how good this team is. I guess we should probably talk a little bit more about that. I think. I think that there are times in a league where, I remember when Larry Bird retired, he actually he talked later about how he saw Chris Webber play and he thought, I don't want to stay around for this. This guy's going to embarrass me. Chris Webber was so good, he just felt like he'd get embarrassed. And I think that there are people who are going to look at the Warriors now and almost kind of put their hands in the air and say, what do we do? Like, this team is so good. Especially these teams that have gone small intentionally. If you've gone small and your intention is to be able to beat the Warriors, I mean, seriously, good luck. Right? They've got three, they've got maybe the three best shooters in the whole world on their team. They have two guys in Iguodala and Draymond Green who might be defensive player of the year candidates 
They have the best ball handler that I've ever seen at six foot ten or taller in Kevin Durant. They've got the guy with the fastest shot I've ever seen in Clay Thompson. And they've got one of the most unique skill sets of a point guard I've ever seen with ball handling and shooting and distributing in Steph Curry. Combine all of that with a great culture. They're just going to kill people offensively. They're going to score 150 points a game if they want to. They don't want to. They're not going to do that. But they're going to lead the league and uh, they're going to lead the league in efficiency in scoring. The Rockets may lead the league in scoring actually because Ryan Anderson and James Harden are going to run that ball up and down the court as fast as they can and just shoot as many threes as fast as they can. But they won't be as efficient as the Warriors. The Warriors are going to be one of the great offensive teams we've ever seen. Maybe the great offensive team we've ever seen. And so it's going to be easy for teams to just be like, you know what? We can't beat them. Let's play for second. And that's a frustrating thing. Now, having said that, the there, there are going to be other teams that think, you know what? We've still got a chance at these guys. My point is that I don't think you can beat them going small anymore. And I think teams are going to figure that out pretty quickly. How did Oklahoma City almost beat them? Isn't this interesting? The It's very ironic that the team that almost beat them is now, the, one, of the, one of the guys from that team has now joined their team. But before he joined their team, he kind of gave the secret away to, 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 yet to the other teams on how to beat them. And the, the secret, it's, I mean, the way that you beat the Warriors is very clear at least before Kevin Durant, Durant got there, you beat up Steph Curry on both ends of the ball. Defensively and offensively, you have to beat Steph Curry up. You've got to make his life hard. You've got to make them take tough, contested threes. You've got to really be long and athletic. Players like Serge Ibaka, Steven Adams, and Kevin Durant all playing way above their position as far as their height and their size. Um... All of those guys are bigger than the average guy at those positions. And you know what? So is Russell Westbrook, and so is Andre Roberson. And all five of those guys will get after you defensively. And all five of those guys offensively are big, athletic, and wear you out and wear you down. Golden State's very fortunate that they still won that series for two reasons. One, because it got them to the finals where they you know, eventually lost the championship. But two, because they got Kevin Durant because they lost, as we pointed out earlier. So... Um, Anyway, I think that you've got to go big to beat the Warriors. You've got to go long, tall, athletic, and rebound the ball. Really beat them up on rebounds on both sides of the ball. And then just wear them down. So who can do that in the league today? I really don't know. I don't think it's the Spurs. I don't think it's the Clippers. I actually think that the team that's the best designed to play them is the Jazz. I think the Jazz would get killed because they can't score the ball with them at all. But I think, as we saw last year, the Jazz were one of the best teams in the league at preventing them from scoring. And I think you're going to see more of that out of the Jazz this year. It's just the Jazz don't have the offensive talent to stick with the Warriors. So you've got to find a team that has both that defensive length and um, intensity and also has the ability to go score the ball. And that team doesn't exist in the league right now. The best chance will probably be the Cleveland Cavaliers. And um, the Cavs, um, they have length, and they have um, 
they have it at most positions, but it's not, you know, it's not perfect. And I'm still a believer that I'm not sure they would have won the championship if if Draymond Green wouldn't have stepped over, or wouldn't have hit uh, LeBron James when LeBron James stepped over him. So, anyway, um, that's enough about that. Um, the next question that I have on the matter is, um, how is? Oh no, you know what? I already I already took care of that. I already talked about that. So, I think. Kind of in conclusion on the Warriors, um, I think it's a wait-and-see game with how all of Durant's stuff is affected and, and how it affects the hobby. Um, but dynasties are something that will help help guys hold value. Um, it's not as fun to collect somebody who's always winning um, or not as fun to speculate. It's more fun to sort of, at least in my opinion, to search out the underdog. But I think this Golden State team this this year and for the next five or six years has the chance to just be dominant. And um, I think it's very interesting to see what will happen to the Kevin Durant stuff, especially his current, like his high-end rookie stuff. Um, if you have any questions or if there's anything else that you'd like us to talk about on the podcast, feel free to PM me on Blowout Cards. Hit me up at The27Guy on Twitter. And until next time, happy collecting. Thank you.